Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You back in the house of mystery and i'm al warren and uh, you're not <laughs> <laughs> they didn't like that last time when i said that you know they i didn't. keep getting complaints yeah i keep getting complaints you know <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying to be loved and they're not doing it no no i don't know <laughs> i should offer free money to everyone and then they'd love yeah. me yeah yeah it'd be like oprah <laughs> everybody a car yeah, you won a car. You won a car. You won a car. You won a car. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. But, you know, I have an older car. Jeez, I'm not even buying myself a new car. You're not. Oh, no, it's terrible. You deserve it. I do. You deserve it, Al. I do a new smart car. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that goes with it. I guess I've got the Tesla. I never use it. But, oh, well. It's, it's the point of having it, but I'm saving right. energy. Anyway. That's true. And well, today we are continuing with our our week of interesting interviews, and uh, you know everything from cops to killers to jeez, uh, who else have we had? I can't remember, but uh, it, really interesting. Um, so today uh, we're going to have a, a guy that was with the CIA. And he's uh, got a new book out, or a newer book out, fairly fairly recent. And the book is called Shadow Masters Reloaded. And our guest is J.T. Patton. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Al. I appreciate it. And hello, David. Hey, J.T. Well, well, J.T., so uh, you've probably already done background searches and everything on us. You know everything about us. <laughs> <laughs> probably have pictures. No, I mean, um, I, I say that jokingly, but... Um, before we get into the book, a lot of people think uh, they have an image of what a CIA officer is or a person that's in with the CIA. Um, I know I know you probably don't want to talk about it much, but just um, it, it isn't really quite like what we see on, on the movies, is it? No, um, it, it's not. And, and let me, if you don't mind, let me back up just a hair. Um, 
I'm not uh, released as um, a CIA. Um, so, so I'll just say I am um, an intelligence professional uh, who's worked in the intelligence community, and I will say that anything that I write um, has to go through both CIA and NSA. But, uh, but I just wanted to make that little distinguishing um, uh, modification or disclaimer. <laughs> so you're not James Bond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I thought maybe. That was pretty exciting for a minute. I, just, well, how did your life get I don't know, I don't know how to phrase this, but how did, how did it how did it get from being an intelligence person um and into into writing books, um thrillers, I guess you'd want to call them. Um how how did that happen? How did you jump over into writing these books? Sure. Um, well, it was largely by mistake, as, as most things happen. And I've always been, um, well, I'd say maybe later in my in my teens, I, I became more of an avid reader, uh, thrillers and the like. Um, earlier, I had been, you know, more more about horror and uh, and, and suspense. Um, so it's always been a little bit of a, a part of me. Uh, Tom Clancy. Um, Jean Le Carré and, and, and others. Um, so when I finally got involved in the intelligence community and then with more experience in counterterrorism, um, those worlds seemed to get a little bit closer. And, and I, I always had things running in my head about, um, you know, what a great story this would be or, you know, on the other side, as I was reading a story, I was thinking, boy, that's, that's not how this is at all. And there had been, I had a good friend um, in, the, uh, in the operations community. Uh, he and I were both readers, talked about it a lot. And he was very close friends, um, childhood friends, with one of the famous authors of the time who was writing a lot of thriller books. And that individual used to go to him asking a lot of questions about, you know, operations and, and the intelligence community and, you know, what do you think is going to happen in this country? Or we just heard that these people were assassinated, you know, was that, you know, us uh, type thing. And, uh, and so on occasion, um, my friend uh, Sean would reach out to me and say, hey, you know, I've got this question. This might be a little bit closer to you. You know, can you answer this? you know, as appropriate. And the more that this happened, you know, over maybe a period of a couple of years, uh, Sean, I kept thinking, you know, these authors tend to, to reach out to us about the, the, the nuances of the intelligence community or special mission units and things. We're like, they've got to be making boatloads of money. Why, why can't we do this? If we're the ones that actually have this knowledge, we should be the ones uh, out there. So he and I made a bet. And uh, first one to write a thriller novel I uh, would win that bet. It was a dollar, and um, I happened to have been the one that that made it to the finish line a couple years later. So at that point in time, I had the book. Uh, I, I, I had I had written it or the manuscript. So I reached out to the individual who we had been helping and asked if um, if he might be able to assist. How do I get into the publishing world? How do I get this edited, reviewed, what have you? And uh, he wasn't willing to help. <laughs> So it, it pissed me off so much um, that I put everything that I absolutely had into pushing that book forward, whether it was ready or not. 
just so that I could get out there and then go to the next one and try to make it to the chart so that at least at one point in time, I could have a book that was above his in the uh, the selling ranks. So ultimately, I guess that's, that's how it happened. <laughs> there you go. It's all about the popularity. Nothing. Uh, it's it's interesting. So, um, who who have you created this um, this main character, Sean Havens? Uh, this is a Sean Havens Black Ops thriller. This book. So, Sean Havens um, is who? You know, Sean Havens. When I initially wrote this, so this is a book that I, that was the first one that I wrote. Um, it was independently published at first, and then later on, after I had been writing and publishing other books, uh, a small press picked it up. So it's just been re-released, re-edited. At the time, I'd say that it took bits and pieces of some of my history. You know, they say, you know, write what you know. So I brought some elements of that. Um, I also then brought in some elements and aspects of, of my friend Sean. Uh, who is the namesake. And uh, and then I think there was just that reality of, you know, we know that there are all of these heroic type of, of personas that we look at in thriller books, but, you know, I never felt like that, and nor was I really ever doing anything like that. Um, and many of the folks that I was working with uh, were similar. So it was kind of a, a contrived mix of, what one might think that this type of a protagonist should look like, but then there is also the tempering with the everyday man uh, that most of us were, um, people that had families, people that had marriages, um, you know, the, 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 we're, we're, you know, running ragged, tired because we haven't slept, we're traveling a ton, and, uh, and it's not, you know, just kind of a, flip the next pages because now you're on, on uh, your downrange and then you're engaging the enemy and now you're going to the next and you're going to the next. It was like, you know, damn, I'm tired and I'm hungry. And, uh, and so I tried to pepper the book with those aspects of it and something that, you know, somebody might get a, a smell out in, uh, in the field, you know, in the Middle East or something and think, you know, wow, that smells like breakfast and, huh, that smells like pancakes and damn, I could really use some pancakes. And so while it's a little tongue-in-cheek of some of the things, and, and folks may think it's kind of schmaltzy, but ultimately it was about things that can happen that are a little bit more realistic than one might think. Mm. Uh, so now, I, I, is, is it kind of tricky writing this type of book in these times, especially as lately, like because you, you talk about uh, false flag terror events and stuff in this. I just wonder because it's there, it's so... You know, the times are so charged lately in the, the last five years or so. There's such a, you know, contrast going on, I guess. So what, did you have to be careful on how you present a case like this? I, I think so. I mean, first and foremost, I was required to submit everything to the intelligence community. And then because of other involvement, it also had to go to the Department of Defense. Um, I had to be more careful with the tradecraft that I was applying to thwart, you know, the antagonists in this. Um, I think that there is also an element of, I wouldn't say sensitivity, uh, but again, going back to reality, you know, I, most of the books that I write, well, all the books that I write, it deals more with aspects of 
gray than black and white. And I usually find that our antagonists can be as culpable uh, to, to things as our protagonists can be. Uh, similarly, when we're, you know, conducting missions abroad, um, you know, our target groups under other circumstances might be pretty decent people. Now, again, you know, you, those can argue, you mean abusing women and uh, killing babies and, and things like that. Yeah, of course. But by and large, there's a large population that's been driven by their culture, their history. And so I try not to demonize um, groups too much as, as, as I do present their vision in that moment of what is occurring as well as our vision of that. And that's where the conflict sometimes comes out is, you know, these are, these are real people. And, and I think sometimes that sleaze that gets on us as, you know, the protagonists or the good guys are sometimes when we have to make difficult decisions to win wars, take hills and things, or to create effects that may be, um, may have started off with uh, having to cause some type of a disruption. Maybe it is killing somebody. Maybe it is targeting somebody. Um, somebody that could be innocent, but we know that that's going to flush something out or create change in a certain way that's advantageous to us. And so I think part of the, the writing that I also do that I am trying to be also sensitive with, and, and it can ostracize some readers, is that we can do some very horrible things. And it's not just an even playing field of good and bad, black and white, but somewhere in between lies the, the truth. And, and in many cases, uh, everybody's at fault. Well, speaking of tradecraft, as you were talking before, you, you mentioned uh, reading other novels and how you were like, you know, that's not really how uh, this actually happens, how this uh, happens within the field. Do you, do you have to obscure... Uh, what does happen because it's classified, or do you have to change things for drama? And, and how do you go about doing that? A little bit. Um, that's a great question, David. I I think that there are certain things that are really uh, blatant that I can't do. Mm -hmm. uh, I got into a little bit of trouble with NSA because there were certain uh, systems and means and mechanisms uh, by which we can conduct surveillance electronically that had been in the public domain. But because of the fact that I was putting it out there, there was some attribution to me in, um, uh, in Department of Defense and in the intelligence community. That tends to, I guess, validate some things. And, and it's not, you know, whether it's just putting one thing out there, but if people do piece things together, which is what we used to do in intelligence analysis, is taking all of the nuggets and turning it into something a little bit more actionable and insightful. Um, you know, I, here I was kind of guilty of doing that potentially also. So I had to be really careful of what things I could put in there, and in some cases I might change the name to obscure it, you know, and feeling like, okay, everybody knows it's out there, but I won't validate what it is. Um, so I'll do that. Um, there are certain other things that I had to watch or was reminded of because I was creating, even though I may not have been part of certain missions or targeting, um, it could create, based on my knowledge on some things, analytical inferences that could be discovered. So I had to back off some of those. So by and large, 
Um, I do have to be careful, but the one thing that I have learned as I've matured as a writer over the last number of years, and, and it really shows how, how immature and stupid I was with that initial author, was I was thinking that the most important things were the tradecraft and the details and the, the ultra-secret types of, you know, behind-the-scenes uh, uh, conversations I'd been able to be part of or things I'd been able to read. But it turned out, really, the core of, of a good novel was the writing. Hmm. And it was more important to learn how to write and to convey the emotion and the, uh, the momentum and the action in the right way at the right time than it was for me to pepper everything with all of these, you know, secret squirrel uh, type elements, which, you know, who's going to know the truth? Maybe, you know, less than 2% of the population. So as long as I could create something that was plausible, um, then that was, that was a little bit easier than, than having to, you know, try to, try to put in things that I, you know, as close to the line as I could without being over the line and finding really that that didn't matter. So when you actually put together the story and, and you're finished, do you look back and realize that you have a subtext in it or sometimes do you plan? Um, like, I guess what I'm saying is, so when I take home Shadow Masters Reloaded and I read it, at the end of the book, besides the some of the, the the story and the and kind of what you're trying to get a point, is there something else underlying? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I try not to, I, I definitely try not to get political. Right. I think it's just more of the experience of people who are involved in, you know, the quote-unquote black operations um, because it's dirty. You know, I've, I've gotten some good compliments of people that I feel really caught the message where they're like, man, I, I feel like I need to take a shower after reading the book. Um, not for sleaze, but for human character. And I think that that's one of the things that I try to get across because there's so many competing books out there about Navy SEAL guy this, Delta Force guy that, and Black Ops and he's a real badass and all this. Okay, great, cool. Uh, but if you're really in some of those disavowed programs that are, you know, waved beyond oversight, they get nasty, and there's a lot of lies behind it. You don't always trust the people that you're with. That's bad stuff. Um, it's not as cool as you think. And so I try to portray that in my books where, yes, it's black, black ops. Yeah, get your rocks off because it's a cool, um, denied type of a, a space to most people. But as much as I'm going to tell a story in it and people may get some of that sensation of like, you know, they're being read into something that is that most people won't. Yes, you're going to get that. But I try to make it so, look, guys, it's not so sexy. It wrecks lives. You know, kids grow up without their dads, not because they were killed, but because they just can't get back into things. Um, you, you find that you're always lying, maybe for no even reason. Um, you're just not available. And, and some of those things, those second and third order effects of being a person, a human, who's been involved in it, um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of wounds with that. And so most of the characters that I create are very damaged. And, uh, and they're damaged by 
the deceit and deception that they're embroiled in to do their jobs, and you can't just turn it off and go home so easily. Sort of sounds like Hollywood. <laughs> you had all the right wording there anyway i just uh well yeah what are your relationship then um with your characters and i say that because a lot of people we talk to that write fictional books with some maybe some truth scattered in or some elements that are part of the world so when you do that your characters uh are they how do you feel about them like I said, I get I get all sorts of weird answers here. Some people say oh, it's like my family or like my kids or like I get a lot of different uh, f- things from authors. So I wonder how is it with you? Yeah, um, it's personal, that's for sure. Especially since a lot of the characters that I do create have some attachment to another individual. And, uh, and, and somebody that I had, you know, usually worked with or worked against. I do use a lot of nonfiction, historic elements in it, uh, even of characters. Um, um, I used to be a specialist with, uh, Iran's, um, the IRGC, um, Quds Force and, uh, Soleimani, one of the leaders who was recently killed. I had studied that guy for, what, six plus years or so. So even when he and some of his, his uh, you know, deputies and such were, were in my books, I felt like I knew of them. And because I got to know some of these individuals on a personal basis, yes, no question, did they do things to take U.S. soldiers' lives? Absolutely. Innocent people. Absolutely. Um, but I, I've always subscribed to, you know, you play on the team that you're a part of and, and you, you want to win. So from their mindset, they're the good guys. We're the bad guys. And so I, I do try to create a little bit of a, um, not a softening, but just give a little bit of their perspective. Um, in, in one of my books, um, Buried in Black, I talk about Iraqi translators and soldiers that had worked with special mission units but were left behind. Uh, in many cases, their families were slaughtered. So the premise of this was that they were used by the Iranians um, to come over to the U.S. and wreak havoc. And, and basically, you know, the Iranians were able to get their strategy fulfilled in what they wanted to do. The, um, the Iraqis uh, were able to exact some revenge uh, on their families that had been killed. So... I don't demonize those at at any point in time. I think that a reader might get a little bit conflicted, and that's what I try to draw in my, my, my writings is being conflicted on who the adversary is at the time and what their motives are. And so if we look at those guys who are looking to kill, you know, soldiers that had betrayed them, obviously, you know, good guy side, us, we're going to look at it as, yeah, horrible guys, those are the bad guys. But if we take ourselves out of that mindset and put it into the Iraqis, is that justifiable? And that's where I try to um, create those characters to be a little bit more meaningful. And then I think with the other characters, you know, my my protagonists and stuff, I, I think there's, because of that attachment, yes, you know, that's very personal. And, and I think at some point in time it can get so personal that I could even be writing a passage that, if anybody else would read it, they're like, okay, next sentence, you know, 
but I could get really emotional. I can have tears, you know, coming down my cheeks uh, because of something that's triggering me or something that I knew had happened, um, you know, to to either somebody on the outside or or somebody I'm close with or maybe just something I knew of from a targeting situation. I can feel genuinely bad about that. And, and again, whether that comes through or not, I don't know. Maybe it's just cathartic to me in some main, uh, means, you know, it could be. Mm. So your writing process, how, how do you end up writing? And, and I mean, so are you, are you the type that can sit down and go, okay, well, I've got um, three to nine today, so I'll write. And you can sit down and just write. Or do you have to have a certain mood um, in order to perform? So a little bit of both. Um, when I was, when I wrote the first, I guess, five books, I was traveling a lot. Uh, I could be traveling 70% of the time, gone from home. So that even meant that I was, you know, staying in my hotel room, uh, just looking at the TV, um, being in, you know, team house. I could be just out out in a, in a city and then, okay, my other option is, you know, going to a bar or to a restaurant or something like that. And so I and was usually reading anyway. And so at that point in time, you know, when I started writing, I would just kind of carve out some of that personal time um, to write. And, I, and what worked for me was finishing what I was doing, going and getting some dinner, um, having a couple of drinks, you know, so I usually like to be a little bit more low key, like, at a bar, someplace kind of private, and um, and I could write then for for you know three hours, four hours, five hours. Since COVID, however, um, I've been locked at home. I've also changed you know the business that I'm in, and and how I've been involved you know commercially to support myself, and uh, and I'm finding that I have less and less of that free time. I mean, I've got kids that I'm running all over the place, and or it's just you know I've been in locked away in the house doing my work from seven in the morning till six o'clock at night. So, am I really going to get up and and have some dinner and then go back in and lock myself away for a few hours? It's just it's just not the right thing to do. It's pretty selfish in in my view, uh, for my situation. So, I am now having to steal hours when I can to write. Uh, it's forced me to be a little bit more structured in my writing, um, adhering to a little bit more of an outline, because whereas before I could just kind of keep flowing and flowing, and if I want to write three hours, four hours, five or six, I can. I could pick it right back up the next night. In this case, it could be a few days in between, and my memory isn't so great now where I can remember exactly where I was and what I was writing and what was happening and, and that mindset that I was in. So um, I am having to get a little bit more mechanical and structured of when I can, you know, maybe write a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the afternoon or something like that. It's not optimal, but ultimately I guess that's when it goes from, oh, I don't know, a hobby to a, um, to a craft and, and, and got to put the big boy, boy pants on a little bit and, you know, make it a little bit more um, dedicated to, uh, you know, to what I'm trying to create. Do you feel that working in intelligence uh, lends itself to fiction writing in that you're, uh, to, to the collection of information and analyzing, uh, do, do you feel that that helps you uh, in, in creating your stories and your characters? I think it, it does initially when I'm, when I'm marinating on an idea. 
and I can go down all kinds of rabbit holes um, to try to flesh out what I'm thinking of doing. I've got some friends that, you know, that are writers, and sometimes they'll come to me with a plot, and they're like, how would we do this? And I can get really engrossed in it from an intelligence standpoint looking at, I would do this, and this is how that environment should be. And, okay, now we can incorporate this into a plot, yada, yada. As I'm writing now, I actually have to divorce myself. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So from that, because I would, I usually find that, as I mentioned earlier in, in the show, you know, sometimes less is more. And so if I were trying to like lecture, which I noticed I did in my first couple books was, let me tell you how smart I am on this topic. Um, a, a lot of that stuff is really noticeable to a reader and they're like, okay, great. Thanks for the history lesson. Um, so they don't necessarily want that. So I have to really be careful of not going too deep into the weeds on a particular topic and, um, keeping it at surface level, keeping it with the story. And I'd say also the, the area that I had problems with initially and, and still struggle with is the, uh, the Sherman Kent, um, uh, schooling, uh, you know, it's, it's with an, an, uh, an intelligence, uh, so, uh, agency, you know, you're, you're taught to write in a certain way. Um, same with DOD, you, you, you've got a certain structure, you know, uh, Alan, you, I think you guys, you had also been involved with, um, uh, news writing, reporting and stuff. I mean, the inverted pyramid essentially. Yeah. And so when you're talking about, you know, honing those things in, uh, you're, you're hitting your topic sentence and then your, your key thing that you're writing and then you're, you know, bringing that down in the least amount of importance. Um, Brevity can be in there, which is good for the writing, but on the other times, sometimes you, uh, you want to embellish and get a little bit more. It goes against everything that we're talking on one side or the other. So because of sometimes the analytical writing training that came with the analysis, that makes it sometimes harder to, to know, you know, when, when to create a little bit more or, or when to scale back. I, I wonder also if, um, if the, there are so many movies and, and 
series now, Netflix and stuff, that kind of cover the uh, black ops and thrillers and spies and all this sort of stuff. I wonder if uh, the general population has a preconceived notion of what happens in real life in their mind and it's quite different than what you've experienced in your life uh, but I wonder if because of what people expect you sort of have to embellish or make your characters do more than they probably would in real life or am I oh yeah sure. that's true yeah um I mean, most most analysts aren't operators. Uh, they don't become case officers. Um, and and if you're watching a movie, you know, you've only got two hours to keep people in. Usually, these are thrillers to keep them on the edge of their seats. So you've got to put a lot in, and sometimes you'll dual hat uh, a lot of roles because otherwise it would just be so drawn out and boring that uh, uh, nobody would like it. I mean. There's aspects of the show Homeland that I think are absolutely ridiculous, but in other cases, I think that it's it's, it's got some really accurate elements to it. Um, I think the one of um, a spy game uh, with Redford, I love that one. Um, you know, again, it's, it's hokey. People wouldn't have the same level of access getting in and out of things, but, you know, it, there are certain parts of it that you're like, okay, yeah, that's that that works. Um, I, I've only known a handful of analysts because I wasn't necessarily working all uh, inside uh, the ivory tower. Um, those that were analysts and then went into the field. Uh, got a good friend, John Karaku, who uh, had done that and found himself in Iraq and then found himself in some interrogation uh, situations and, and ops. You know, that's that's kind of rare. Um, or similarly, if I've been working in the special mission side, you know, most of those guys then on the operation side, you know, it's mostly the shooting, less of the analytics. So, yeah, you, I think if you saw it from the real side of the meetings, the bureaucracy, um, the things that ended up, you know, not happening because somebody just was playing it too safe and not making a risk-based approach, you know, you, you would end up going through 99 episodes um, to get to the one episode where they actually did something. Wow. So you're trying to tell me S Steven Seagal isn't really, you know, take out 50 men in a room and... Oh, there, may, there may be one or two guys like that, but... <laughs> I'm disappointed. I mean, see? I, I knew it. Um, well, it, what other influences can you draw by? But um, so... Um, when you're when you're trying to put together these stories, do you, you, you go outside of your own personal experiences and maybe things that you watch or listen to or other other books that you read? You know, I, I've got to be careful with it. And, and again, this goes back to some things where I, I scoffed at early, um, and now I'm getting. I try not to read as many thriller books now, especially guys that I don't know, because I some ideas that I had, all of a sudden they put it in there, and I feel like if I put it in there in my book, then I'd be stealing it. Right. Um, and, and most of the time I find that because I've got a little bit different perspective, 
Um, I mean, and this is, again, all due respect to the authors that I'm dealing with, but I don't think that they usually come up with something so exciting that I couldn't have thought of something like that or maybe even a little bit more true. Um, so I don't go seeking that. I think what I do find myself doing is I, I do have a handful of friends that are writers um, that have really kind of helped me along the way and helped my craft. So I might, I might look at it from the standpoint of a style of how they moved from one scene to another. Uh, that's really helpful. I think the other thing that I do a lot is it's the first couple chapters that really get somebody engrossed in, in a book. And so there, I can't tell you the amount of Amazon titles that I will look at for the look inside and I'll read the first chapter or whatever that they usually give us to see if I would put the book down. And if there's something that's really engrossing, I'll think, okay, that's, that's how I'll change it. So I've got a good friend, uh, Josh Hood, who's a, a very successful writer. He's writing uh, the Ludlum series now. And, uh, and Josh, you know, he's like, dude, you just got so much prose in here. Just get, just kill somebody. And uh, so you know, he really helped me about midway in my writing um, because he just had a better command of getting to the punch right away, getting that action going, engaging people. That was something that I had to learn. Uh, it was also something that I had to kind of shift from because of my other influence. I love Stephen King. And so because of the horror books, those are the complete opposite. They're longer, drawn out, very descriptive. And then you've got to get something that's faster tempo to, you know, to the point, you know, hard punching. So it's like polar opposites of what I usually prefer to read to what I was writing. And that's that's very different. Well, I'm wondering, when you're creating your characters, uh, do you have an inner monologue? Can you hear your characters? Or is it more of a visual process for you? Um, No, I could definitely... I can definitely hear them, and now whether I'm able to convey that is the struggle, <laughs> and probably with, with most writers. But, no, I can, I can hear their voice. I can usually picture what they look like, usually by almost an actor, someone that I might think of. Um, in one of my characters, um, Lars, I thought of, uh, I, I hope I'm getting his name right, uh, Brendan Gleeson, who is in... Mel Gibson movie, Braveheart. He's, he's a big red-haired guy. So I, I used to always think of, of him um, as I was writing some things. And then other, other visuals, you know, I might get. Uh, and then that kind of draws it out, too. So you were thinking of me when you created your agent here, <laughs> I'm sure. Sean, right? You are picturing me doing all these things. Definitely the next one, Al. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh, you're writing a drama then, eh? No. I just uh, well, I, I wonder, but now so on your Sean Haven books, and just like some of the others, where you have more than one novel that kind of work together as the same character or something, um, does each book stand alone, or do you have to read them all in order? No, you can. They they each can stand alone, um, and as a matter of fact, they I, I did draw them into the same world, so. Everybody knows each other, um, and it can actually be done where you can start with the Sean Havens novels. There are three of them, and then they dovetail into 
the Task Force Orange novels, um, and there are two of them. So you can go from one all the way to the other. Or you could do it the Star Wars way <laughs> of starting at the, the last two and then going to the very beginning, and the same thing works. In many cases, I almost, just because I feel like they were written better, I almost, if somebody asks me where do I start, I start them at the Task Force Orange novels because they can get a feel for the characters, and then they can jump back to the beginning and be a little bit maybe forgiving on some of the earlier writing uh, that I did. Well, that's a, that's a common thing, right? Uh, you can, uh, I think for any writer, if you go back to earlier stuff, um, it's always sometimes with a cringe, right? Because we go, we, we get better. And then if you reread something you've written quite a while ago, you kind of go, ooh, <laughs> I would, I would yeah. do that differently, or I would change this, or I can't believe I did that. Or that, That's kind of a normal feeling because you're going to keep progressing as you go. So it is. And, and, um, and I have, and maybe it was by ego. Um, the the publisher now that I'm working with for the Sean Haven series to republish them, um, Force Poseidon, when they first approached me about the book, um, you know, I was like, ah, why, why would I publish these? Do I really want to give somebody else the money? I'm making this. You know, it's all coming to me. But it gave me the opportunity to re-release the books um, with more editing and to have somebody else take a look at them and see what they would do differently. And so they've made them better. And I, I think that once I had gotten published, I mean, I know, and I, I don't want to disparage the indie because that's really kind of my world. And I've got a lot of good friends and there's a lot of great writers in there. But I think that I felt like because I had been published and had, and somebody had taken a look at the books, edited them properly, I didn't want to make it look like, you know, here were still some of what I perceived as my like minor league books that people would be going back to. And if they started with them, maybe they wouldn't go to the others. So I definitely did want to have like a, a redo um, and then publish it through the, the smaller house. Yeah. And that's understandable uh, because a, a publisher will put you through the ringer, right? They, uh, you know, the editors and, the, and, and all of that stuff. So there's kind of a, um, they, they want to make your book better. You know, so there's there's kind of an achievement there. Um, there's nothing wrong with the independent writer, self-publishing and stuff. It's just um, it's how you take your writing, and if you challenge yourself by speaking to other writers or editors and having other people go through it before you publish it. So, you know, it's a process. Um, um, do you have problems developing Sean Havens, for instance, each book that you go through, and if you develop do you have problems remembering what he might have felt or did in one book a few years later? I, I do. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so I, and, and that's, you know, I, I, I have to give credit to um, guys like um, Mark Graney, Brad Taylor, who write these series, you know, on and on. I'm like, I, I just couldn't do it. I, my memory is not that good. I don't care to reread my stuff. So, I can't see how I would progress much farther with any of the characters. Now, I still have at least one book left in, uh, in the Task Force Orange that I would like to do, and then I'd like to you know, move that on if I continue with the, the military thrillers. But I've gotten to the point now where 
I have wanted to enhance my craft. I did get into um, a bit of a quandary with my uh, with my uh, oversight readers, or not readers, but the um, review board um, within DoD and the intelligence community because the topic of Task Force Orange um, and that uh, special mission unit, um, they they didn't want me to write on that anymore. And they made it very clear that there is going to be some delays in my getting these things approved, which doesn't really help from a uh, production standpoint with a publishing house that has to set a date. And so it just is, is less feasible. So I have to, I'm still thinking about how to get creative on getting those books still out there, but without it being uh, either me uh, going against my obligation or pissing anybody off. Um, but Again, because I want to enhance my writing some, I have gone back to my true passion, which is that suspense horror, um, and and really trying my hand at not playing the card of ex-Intel specialist that's writing these so you guys should show up. I, it's kind of like, here's an author. He wrote a story, and if you like it, it, it kind of goes on its own merits. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm uh, really hoping to do. So... So we'll see. I, I saw that uh, tomorrow or I guess the, the next week uh, you've got uh, Richard uh, uh, Chismar on there and big fan of mm. him. And and so, you know, that's it's a different community. And, and I learn a lot by reading uh, the books of guys like him because they just have a just a real great way with words and creating an image that you don't always need to to create by just talking about a certain gun or ammunition or you know whatever it is so well it's it's kind of it'll be an interesting journey absolutely you know i was wondering has uh, you this type of a writer where um like you know, has have sean havens ever done anything or any of your characters that you know just surprised you maybe gone off the rails did something that they weren't you know that you hadn't expected that they would do within the story or you know it, it, are, are you totally in control of your characters and you, you just kind of direct them and they go where you want them to go. No, they, they do what they want. And, um, in one case, a guy died because of it that I wasn't planning, but I was like, well, <laughs> there's that. Um, and another one, I've got a character, Prescott Drager, who's uh, really just a despicable human being. Um, I don't, I don't find myself, I don't have anything internally where I, I would ever abuse a woman, uh, engage in prostitution or things like that. But in my second book, um, Prime Charge, this guy just does some despicable things. And the way he was just beating on somebody, I'm like, where the hell is this coming from? But it was like, it, it was just, he was in a drug-induced state. He's just a really damaged person. He's horrible. And I let it go, and the next thing you know, we're we're in like a, a um um a, a uh, like a pit bull type thing, situation out in uh, Eastern Europe, and it was just really, really a very dark book uh, that I wrote, and I don't know where it came from. I don't know that you know there were some career things going on with me that were a challenge, but nothing in my personal life, and nothing that should have been that dark by any means. But for whatever reason, just some real nasty stuff came out that these guys were doing, and um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought I, I was one of your interviews that you had done, Al. I know you were talking about um, 
kind of even where you were on the spectrum and how when you are talking to killers that it really didn't affect you, you're not a sociopath, um, but yet there's something that you could just kind of look at matter-of-factly. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, and I'd love to get your response, but I think in this case it was like, it was just very benign to me because it was just what they were doing. I was just, I was, I was just like over them listening to what their story was. I just happened to be writing it. Does, I don't know. Does that resonate at all? That's how I live. (laughs) People don't know if I'm serious or not. Actually, I just got a really interesting review. A writer actually sent me a, an email talking about my Leopold and Loeb book and how he couldn't believe uh, he really enjoyed it, and he said he couldn't believe how uh, I could be so non-judgmental and, as a matter of fact, when I when I'm talking about the details with the killer, and it's like I I I don't see how it could be any other way because that's how I was born, and I've always had that. I just that's just who I am. So um, I'm not sure. I don't know how else I can describe it, but uh, that's just what goes on with this brain, you know? Yeah, I, I, get, I guess in some ways I feel, and I don't know I say I feel the same way, but I, I feel in a similar manner of there may just be some wiring of me that maybe controls certain things on the outside, but they may be in there. I, I don't know. Um, I, it's funny because my dad, uh, he won't read any of my books. And um, my uncle, who just devours them, um, gets really, really upset with my dad. He's like, how come you can't read these books? He's like, they're too violent. I don't like the language that he uses. It just doesn't seem like somebody that I know. Well, I look at those books, too, and I'm like, I don't seem to know that person either. It's just, it's written. I might read something over a year or two later. I'm like, did I really write that? It's just, it kind of comes out. Don't know where it comes from. It's not how I necessarily live my life, but, um, yeah. you know, it is what well, it is. Yeah, sort of, you know. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't get too worried. I mean, you start, maybe you go into <laughs> trances and start writing these things. I mean, you hear voices, you, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's maybe time to seek counseling. <laughs> You'd be interviewing me from behind the bars. Uh, well, you never know. I, I've had strange things happen in my life, but, you know. Wait till you're writing horror. Yeah, then, you know, Chisler was an interesting guy, too. I've, I've talked to him, and, you know, it's it's pretty interesting. But, um, you know, uh, it's another one. Uh, you hear about his life, it's kind of crazy. So, any anyhow, so now, um, how do people get a hold of you, or do you like to interact with people on social media, or do you do a website? How How is it you want listeners to follow up with you? Yeah, you know, have beer will respond. Um, I, I am for now. I mean, because I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a famous writer who has to crank out two books a year or anything. So I'm on social media for fun, interacting with fellow authors and readers and different communities. So, uh, and there's a number of them that I'm on Twitter with because we do actually just, you know, in addition to reading books or writing reviews and things like that. We do exchange beers and send them kind of all over the country to, to different people. But I'm on Twitter, uh, JT Patton Books, and uh, the same tagline is for Instagram and the same is for Facebook. I try to diversify the platforms a little bit so it's not in just triplicate, but Twitter is a little bit more loose, 
you know, what am I doing now? What am I thinking about? It's kind of random, uh, trying to cross-promote some other, you know, friends or, or people in the community. Facebook may be a little bit different um, in how I post that. And then Instagram is usually, again, something a little bit more personal. If I'm just taking a picture at a kid's volleyball game or soccer game or I'm fishing or, you know, out having some drinks with my wife or friends or on vacation, you know, that type of thing. So I try not to make it where interaction is always about me trying to sell somebody my book. As a matter of fact, I probably don't do enough of that. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I'm always happy to interact. And then on the website, which is the same tagline too of jtpattonbooks.com, um, I think there's like a direct mailing thing too that somebody can reach out and I'll respond to those. Yeah, send them all your threats. <laughs> That's right. I think the only thing that I don't like to do too much because I just don't know necessarily even how I arrived in the intelligence community or working with special mission units is I do get a lot of young men who are saying, how do I get onto this team or how do I get into CIA or NSA? I'm like, I, I don't know. These days, you know, you just have to get it through your, uh, you know, if you're in the military, there's a, there's a way, a path forward. And if you're, you know, on the outside looking to get in the intelligence community, honestly, the, the website uh, just applying to the jobs seems to be doing the trick right now. There's there's a lot less of that backhanded, you know, let's slip this guy in type stuff. I'll just tell them you, you could tell them, but you, you'd have to kill them. That's right. We don't do that anymore. We just now say we'd wreck your family so they'd want to kill yourself. Well, there you go. You see, that's how it goes. How did COVID go for you as in uh, your writing? Was that like a dry time for you? Did you have any issues with it? Or when there's things that are real stressful, I mean, being that you, you know, in a round and you probably deal with stress okay, but um, when there's outside stress like that going on of something that can't really be controlled, um, does it stop your creative process? I think the creative process was there. As a matter of fact, I was really yearning to write during that time because I'm like, here I am. I, you know, there were times when there were delays at work and things. I'm like, I really have an opportunity. But I do recognize the fact I've got kids. Uh, they're getting older, going away to college. I really looked at that as a wonderful opportunity. I was never going to get back to just spend time with them, whether we were binging shows on Netflix or my wife and I just kind of hanging out, you know, day after day, you know, type things. It was, uh, I, I, I don't want to sound light, uh, again, given the tragedy of it, but it was really a great 18 months or year that we were kind of locked down there for a while because I did get something that I didn't think that I was going to have again. I, I, you know, I would see the kids. They weren't just going to school and going to their next activity. And then, you know, maybe we'll pass and nobody's eating dinner together. Um, it was a nice time. So the writing that I didn't do was to embrace something else. And I think that also gave me the opportunity to think about what I wanted to write about next. Um, what those things were going to be, how I was going to transition to the market. That also was about the time that they started uh, re-pushing out that, that first series. So I did some work with that. So no, it was, it was kind of a nice time to just think and, and enjoy life oh, for yeah. me. No, I mean, you get different, different reactions. People deal with things like that differently. So it's all, you know, um, you know, Dave, Dave there, he was just uh, drunk for 18 <laughs> yeah. months the whole time. <laughs> in the basement with his scotch and he just yeah. he couldn't get up the stairs. 
No. You know? Well, that's he should have just come over with mask and a straw. Yeah. Oh, no. Boy, you need. That's, you found the right guy, I'll tell you. You know? Poor wife out there working and cleaning and come home and cook him dinner and everything. My God. Shameful <laughs> behavior. What a man. Well, it's certainly been interesting. It's uh, it's one of those areas that's fascinating, and uh, and I, I really think you should consider having me play that role in the when they come up with a Netflix series with your with your uh, Sean Havens. Alan, I'm I'm going to work it into the contract. Right? <laughs> that's right. So I'll have your people get in touch with my people. <laughs> oh, I've heard that. We can make it yeah, I've got that. I've had. We'll kill, we'll, <laughs> hey. We'll kill Dave off in the first <laughs> yep. episode. Yeah. Well, he's got to come back in the third or fourth. He's not really dead, you see. He's just pickled. <laughs> be a zombie. Yeah, he comes back as a zombie. Uh, that's the way it is nowadays. Well, anyway. Well, um, the book we were kind of featuring and uh, all of us writing, actually, is Shadow Masters Reloaded, and it's a Sean Haven's Black Ops thriller. And the author was our guest, J.T. Patton. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was fun fun chatting with you. Thanks, JT. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.